Hey, let's give it up again. That's the Foss family and Kate. Don't you guys just love Uncle Gib showing up and playing with us? Yeah, we love Uncle Gib. Super blessed, super excited about what God is doing here, especially through our worship. Thank you so much for joining us on Fellowship Sunday. Uh, Jeremy kind of set it all up. We are a place that is on fire for Jesus, and we want to press into this world and give that away. Amen? Amen. We want to bring our enemies as well as our friends to church because our church needs that, and our enemies need it even more. And that's why we call this Fellowship Sunday, and we've been marketing that. We should be bringing our enemies as well, because that's what Jesus wants us to do. We got this new ministry that's going to be happening, and we're super pumped, and I'll talk about that at the end of service. Uh, we do a lot of things inside, but we're going to push it out, and I think that's God's really blessing upon us. You know, uh, the first time I ever spoke at in front of a church service was I, was, I was thinking about last night, almost 13, 12 and a half years ago, a pastor came up to me and said, man, your story's pretty crazy. Would you be willing to, to share with it? Pastor Ed at Crossroads, still down the street uh, by the outlet malls, and uh, we were at a different location then, and I said, sure, and he said, what? I said, what do you want me to say? And he says, tell everything. And I said, okay. And I was pretty excited because I felt like God had something inside of me back then that I was supposed to give away. But on the day of, I remember about five minutes before the service starts, I got a little nervous. And my wife knows when I'm nervous because I said, I start picking my face and start doing stuff around my head. And, and I got nervous and he could notice. And he said, Jeff, what's the matter? And I said, I'm afraid that people are going to reject me after they know who I really am. After they find out that I've been convicted of eight felonies, after they find out that I've been drug dealing and been a drug addict and an alcoholic, after they're going to find out that my wife left me and the kids got taken away from me, after they find out I did some time, will people want to sit next to me? I was worried about a friend sitting, uh, sitting next to her in church and her moving her purse over. Honestly. Because that's who I was. And he came up to me and he put his arm around me and he says, Jeff, they're going to love you. And you know what? Try not to lose it here. A church loved on me. Because I opened up, I shared my heart. I got 100, 150 people come up hugging, high-fiving. A couple people say, man, that's refreshing to see that God is still alive and moving and, and somebody that's gone in a dark and different way. Amen? And the truth is... That moment of honesty in my heart, that moment where I got up and shared my deepest, darkest fears really allowed me to be free and probably build a, built a pathway for me to be up here. If I wouldn't have taken that step, I would be nowhere near of a man of God that I am today. And that's what we're going to preach about today. Amen? So today we're on this series continuing called Fearless. We aren't to live in fear, but we are to live in fearless life with Jesus Christ. That's the idea. I have a Savior that comes into my heart, and he is to speak deep into my soul so that I can walk in this world and be fearless for what God has. The first week we talked about it, and I was shouting at you for like 40 minutes, what are you afraid of? Man, trials, the end of time, and we found out that with Jesus I have, should have no fear. And then last week, Jeremy gave a great message. Let's give it up if you guys were here. Jeremy did a great job. And he took us to the garden. And he used that story in the garden where Adam and Eve fall. 
And he uses it. And, and there was a moment in that story where he did this whole slow motion, I'm going to eat the fruit situation like this. <laughs> and the man was more afraid of the fear of woman or his wife than the fear of God. And hey, I get it. I'm in fear of my wife too. I understand that. <laughs> I'm going to eat the fruit as well. If you've ever seen my wife, man. she knows how to get it done. So... But Jeremy really came to the end and said, we should fear God. If you're, God, if you're not fearing God enough, if you're not fearing, um, stop. <laughs> your God is too small if you've got a lot of fear in your life, right? We've got to increase our God because I believe in a big God that can do mighty things, that can change lives, that can take and make something out of nothing like he did in me. And he can do that in you. And no matter where you're at in your life, that's what I believe. Let's look at our memory verse to kind of get the service together and what a big God does. This is my favorite memory verse. We've been doing, we've probably done 40 series, uh, sermon series. We've always done a memory verse and this verse just really hits me hard. Here's what it says. Isaiah 12, it says, look, my God, uh, God is my deliverer. I will trust in him and not fear for the Lord gives me strength and protects me. He has become my deliverer. I love this because there's a moment that it says, look, God is the deliverer for all mankind. There's no question, no doubt that he is. But when you bring him into your life, when you utilize him right, he becomes my deliverer. He becomes my protection, my hope, and my glory. He becomes more to me than I ever can imagine. He gives me the ability to become fearless in this world. We all have fears, but when we press into the glory of God, we can stand up and fight cancer and death and, and loss of family members. We can fight disease and, and, and struggles and financial issues. We can fight addiction because we have a God that allows us to be fearless. And that's where we're at today is we are going to try and come to become more fearless in this world. Today, the sermon series is called Fear of Being Found Out. Fear of being found out. Who are you really by yourself? Who, what are the things that you struggle with? We have this fear of being found out. Last week, as Jeremy was giving the top five fears, here was a couple that came into my head as well. And uh, a couple of them I just want to shout out. Here, who has a fear of uh, tight spaces or claustrophobia? Anybody? Yeah. If you've ever been in an elevator with someone that's got that fear, it's weird. I was there, and I don't have fear of that, but this one lady came in, and she's like, I'm really nervous, and I'm like, why? And she's like, I don't like being in elevators. I'm like, dude, you're scaring me. I don't even know what happened. Free, freaked me out. I got out in this first exit, because he was really weirding me out. I felt like I was going to die in that elevator, so I walked. Um, how about fear of doctor or dentist? Anybody have that here? The dentist, man, when you start seeing the smoke come out, and, and every time my dentist, he's got that big thing that goes like this, and he's standing on it. Yeah, not good. How about clowns? I have a buddy, Eric Hamburg. Got a clown. Any clown haters? It's funny. You think, oh, I'm going to bring a clown to my, my kid's first birthday party, and they're scared the rest of their life, right? This guy with crazy makeup. Here's the last one my wife said, I remember um, sitting next to her last week. The fear of dark. Who's, who, was there, who was afraid of the dark when they were a kid? Nobody in first service said, they're all like, oh, I'm not afraid of the dark, right? I'm snuggling with my wife at night. What's going on out there? <laughs> I hear something downstairs. Go get them, honey. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Do 
So today I want to talk about fear of being found out because I think that's kind of an add-on on what the message was last week. I have a fear of being rejected. I don't want to be rejected by my wife, my kids, by you, by mankind. I don't want to be rejected. But the second part of that is I'm afraid of being rejected because people might find out who I really am. And that's what we're talking about today. Who are you? And really dig into that so that you can see God work and move so that your inside can match your outside. It seems impossible, but it is possible. Today we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be afraid of telling people who you are. We all have this fear of, of, of trying to be known. We pretend, we masquerade around as something or someone that we're really not. And we spend a lot of time and effort to do that. And the truth is we get to a place in our life, maybe a five or 10 years or 20 years after it and go, who am I? How did I become this person with all these things that I've put on my life because I'm afraid to tell this group something and this group something and this group something else. There's a group of people that you know that um, come to a place where they tell some friends this stuff and some friends this stuff and some friends this stuff. Because they don't want everybody to know the same. At church, here's what happens to me at church all the time, and, and I'm sure it happens to other pastors. People will come up and they go, great message. And this person, guy and girl, will pour out their soul and just tell you all their sins. And like, this is the greatest service. I've never felt like this before. And you never see them again, except at Target. And then they see you and they hide. They're like, oh man, I told that guy everything. I got to get out of here, right? And you see them running in the parking lot. They left their kids in the cart. <laughs> we spend a lot of time trying to mask who we are and really pretend to be someone that we're really not. And today we're going to press into that and make sure you walk out of here feeling whole and right and that I can be more of who I'm supposed to be. That first moment of speaking really opened me up to be comfortable to know I have a message that God wants to, uh, God has a message he wants to use in me and give it away. And so do you. He wants to use you as well. I hope that makes sense. Today we're going to go into the book of Genesis and talk about a story. Abram, who has yet to become Abraham, has this moment where God says, I'm going to bless you and make you the father of the nations. I'm, I'm going to use you because you're a righteous holy man and your wife is awesome too. You guys are just going to be a blessing to mankind and all the church generation after generation are going to be blessed because of you. And then about five minutes into the story, he kind of takes a detour and, and, and thinks on his own. And that's what we do as man, right? So we're going to use this story. If you are able to stand or if you'd like to stand, we use this as a time of worship because here's the deal. The word of God is life giving, life transforming. It's a way to honor and worship God. So we stand in fear and reverence of what God is and who he is. And we open up the word and believe these words can change lives, break chains, and give us a better life. Amen? That was pretty good. I almost did a little Gibbs stong there. So I didn't even practice that. Genesis 12 says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while, because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Today we're going to use this place of, 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 uh, in the Bible to use as a backdrop to talk about the fear of being found out. Here's what I like to do. 
I don't believe that I can preach to all of you. I believe that God uses me and he wants you to pray as I pray that he will speak in powerful ways to a couple hundred people. So as I pray, you ask God, speak to me so that something grabs a hold of, uh, uh, I can grab a hold of this and put it in my heart. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Hallelujah, Jesus, for you are the one that wants to make us real. Open up our heart, mind, and soul. Let us not be concealers, but let us be confessors to you, Lord. We ask for this community to grow because we are honest and whole with you, Father. Speak in a way that radically transforms us. Bless this day. Bless this church. Bless the people inside of this that makes it your community. Father, we love you and we praise you and all God's people said... Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Who like who's a people watcher in this place? Who likes to watch people? Oh, I love it. I can go sit at the coffee place and my wife's like, let's go. And I'm like, no, I'm watching people. <laughs> it's easy to point out people when they're covering up their life, when they're covering up who they are. It's easy. I love it. I look back and I'm like, is that really who they are? And then my wife's like, you're pretty, pretty much judging. And I'm like, I know, sorry. And uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to understand it. It's easy to think about and see people that are covering up. We look at Abram and we go, yeah, he's trying to cover it up for his own benefit because he wants something out of it. And really what he wants to do is live. But it's a selfish thing that he's struggling with. But the truth is when we cover up certain areas of our life, when we grab a hold of things and we cover them up, we don't, uh, we don't see God for what he truly is, and we don't see life for what it truly is. We struggle because we want to be whole and we want to be known. We don't live out the way that we're supposed to live life. There's things that we call blocks or, or borders that we have to push through to get to that place. And one of those blocks is getting through this idea of being found out. Not being afraid to tell your neighbor, this is what I am. This is what I struggle with. This is what I need to do to get to that better place so that you can work in me, Lord. Our biggest fear, I think, is not just being rejected or public speaking, but I think it's fear of being found out. Jeremy last week said one of the greatest fears is public speaking above death. Death was number five. Public speaking was number one, right? I'd rather die than publicly speak. Well, the reason why we have a fear of public speaking is I can get up here and I can start saying stuff, and I don't know if you've ever heard my sermons, but I say anything, and it comes out, and I'm like, man, I shouldn't have said that. I still regret something I said about my wife like six months ago, and I've been watching my P's and Q's not to do that again. And she's so gracious. But the point is this. We have a fear of getting up here and speaking because I might say something that might reveal who I truly am. And that's what I, that's what I think most of us struggle with. The fear of people knowing who I am can be devastating. If you kind of lay it all out and say, this is who I am, somebody's like, oh my gosh, let's get out of here. Get your wallet, get your keys, and let's run because of who this person is. But the truth is, what Jesus wants us to understand, it might be devastating on the initial pull of the Band-Aid, but it's ultimately liberating when you open yourself up and allow people to see you for who you truly are. And that's what Jesus wants us to grab a hold of. That's God's mission, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can see the triune God work in us. Our greatest fear might be the fear of being found out, 
But interesting about this fear is this. This is an interesting point. Probably the most important thing I might say is this. It's very closely tied to one of our greatest desires. The fear of being found out is tied to one of our greatest desires. While we fear being found out, we simultaneously long to be known and be loved. I have a fear of telling you who I am, but deep down in my heart, I'm just a little boy that wants to be found out and loved by someone, right? And if you're a woman, it's the same. You just want to be loved and known. And if they just know me and love me and how wounded I am, then, 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 then it should be happily ever after. And we see that in the Disney movies. It's just not reality. And we need to get to that point of being found out so that I can be truly loved and truly known. Now, here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. Here's a sentence that's written by a pastor, and I'll put this slide up in a few minutes. It says, you can only be loved to the extent that you are known. That was a pastor in the 1950s. But let me kind of explain it to you. That, that's a cool verse, and it's a cool saying, but let me explain this so that it makes sense. I have a beautiful wife. Does everybody know my wife? Liz, put your hand up, you know. Now, there's a rumor. Pastors all have hot, amazing wives. I don't know why that is, but God is good. Somebody give me a hallelujah for that one. <laughs> but listen, my wife loves me. I know this because she constantly tells me how much she loves me. She'll give it in text. She'll say it personally. She'll, 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 she'll say it in great words one-on-one. And here's what happens. My wife will look at me into my deep, beautiful brown eyes. And say, Jeff, I love you with all my heart. And I want you to know that. And I support you. And she does this all the time. But listen. I, my heart really can't fully accept it if I'm not fully open to her because my mind starts thinking, what if, if she knew what I did last night or if she knew what happened to me six months ago, if she knew the things that I did 20 years ago, if she knew what I did as a teenager, she wouldn't love me. And so my mind creates a block so I can't accept her full love unless I'm open to her. Does that make sense? The example is my wife wants to love me, but I'm blocking it because I'm like, she can't love me because she doesn't know who I truly am. But me and my wife have worked hard tirelessly for 10 years to make sure that we know each other in and out fully so that she knows my, my biggest flaws and my greatest love and she knows my heart. And we work at it hard because it makes sense to do that. But it's the same with God. You know, there's a funny thing. It says, God knows all things. He's a sovereign God. He knows all things. So why do I need to say anything? Because he wants to hear it. He wants to hear that you're struggling with sin. He wants to hear that you're struggling managing money. He wants to hear that you're struggling with something in your life. Not because he needs to. He just wants to. And that's what we're talking about here today is, is, is being loved. Here's what uh, Ortberg says. He says, you can only love and be loved to the extent that you, are, you, that you know and you are known by someone. The closer I get to know my wife, the longer that I've been married, the more that she knows me and the more that she can love me and, uh, and hold me accountable and, and build me up when I need to be loved. That's what happens. And that's what happens with God. You can only be loved to the extent that you're known. Now, listen, we've been here for about almost an hour. And you're sitting here, and we've got good music, and I've got a couple of decent jokes. I've already given my wife high five, so I'm, I'm good for at least 30 days with my wife right now. So, But here comes the crux of the message. They call me a minister, 
right? My job, oh, you're a minister or you're a pastor. My job is to minister. And here's the moment that ministry starts to happen in today's message. There's two things that we need to discuss so that you can walk out of here with something to grab onto and make this work so that the ministry happens. And here's the beautiful thing. I don't have to do anything but just open up my mouth and let the Holy Spirit work. And your job is to receive something and grab a hold of it and let the ministry work. There's two issues here that we need to deal with. The crux of the message and the breakthrough part, the train breaker part, uh, the chain breaker part is this. We need to discuss the consequences of concealment and the celebration of confession. Usually we have them backwards, but the truth is people fear confession, but there's consequences to conceal. So let's look back at Abram's life. He's going in, he's heading into Egypt, there's a huge famine, and as he walks into town, he's saying, hey, baby, you're pretty hot, and I don't want people to know that you're my wife because they're going to kill me. So let's come up with this masterful plan and let me conceal that I'm your husband and call me your brother and see what happens. Let's see what happens here in the story. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to the Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace and she treated Abraham well. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired, Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Wow, that's a pretty good bounty. She must be really beautiful. Not quite as beautiful as my wife, but probably pretty good. Just trying to get some points, people. So here's the thing. We have this fear and we like to conceal. We like to conceal. Women put on this thing called concealer, right? Why do we do that? Oh, honey, you're beautiful. You don't need makeup, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that rude. I'm just saying we all believe that, but Sarah, I probably didn't have them. I just lost all my points, didn't I? <laughs> It's that quick. It goes that quick. I mean, I could work weeks to give all that back up. But we have concealer because that's the way that we live our life. We conceal. Oh, I got a blemish. I got this. I got that. I need a new shirt. I need to put something else on. I need to do this and do that because I can't try and conceal. And Abraham is doing the same thing. But listen, at the beginning as Abraham does this, as Abraham is walking into this place, his concealment actually benefits him. Do you realize that sometimes your concealment benefits you? My wife met me in church, and she saw me on stage. And she heard all of my things, and she'll tell you the story that when she first saw me, and she's like, oh, man, that guy's hot. No, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. She goes, I really like that guy. But she goes, man, all that drama, all that stuff, I don't know about that, right? And, and that was what happened. But over time, she allowed, me, allowed God and me to come together and, and, and build in that. And there's benefits from concealment. But our marriage has been open because she saw my testimony at church. Abraham starts concealing, thinking it's going to benefit him. If you've ever been in a relationship, here's some relationship advice. Don't tell him all your stuff. Oh, I... Got eight felonies, I did time, I lost my kids, I got kids, right? You don't want to say that, but over time as you get into a dating situation, you need to open up and tell them who you really are. Otherwise, you're lying to yourself 
And a lot of people get married and then one day they wake up and go, who are you? Who is this person? Because you're not the person that I thought I met. And that's what we see. Abraham, Abraham has uh, benefits for concealing, but ultimately there's going to be consequences. And let's talk about the consequences of concealment. There's a pastor named Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, and he said this in a sermon several years ago. He says, the reason we fear consequences of confession is because we've yet to realize the consequences of concealment. Listen, most of us fear, I'm going to come and confess to you, pastor, today and tell you all my deepest, darkest, dirty things that have happened to me. I'm going to confess, and there's going to be consequences. And the truth is, when people do that, they usually leave the church. Unless they're really strong and they have a good faith behind them, they usually walk away. But the truth is, there's greater consequences for concealing it that we don't even know, right? If you conceal that you have cancer, what happens? It's not good. If you conceal that you have problems in your marriage, if you conceal that you have drug addictions or things going on that aren't beneficial to your family, it's not good. Over time, they come out. My wife has been preaching to me and my girls constantly. The truth always comes out, so don't conceal, right? It's a principle that we live on. And that's what Andy Stanley's telling us. There are consequences of confession, but there's greater consequences of concealing what God is doing. The consequences of concealment is to go your whole life and not letting your past be your past. Not letting your past just go, this is who I used to be. It still is something that's on the top of your tongue every time. It's on your mind constantly. That's a consequence. You also go your whole life regretting and feeling guilt and shame, and that just devours you. And you never allow yourself to be open and loved the way that you're supposed to be. You go your whole life feeling unknown and unloved because you've never truly opened up to anybody. Instead of just laying it all out and going, this is who it is. This is who I am. There was a moment in my marriage when I was on the phone with Liz and I said something and I called her back and I just told her the truth because I kind of gave it a, it was a, we call a little white lie or just kind of a softer, I don't want to give her the full truth. And I called her back and I told her, and over the next few weeks, I did that a couple times. And the truth is, she says, just be honest. If you can't be honest, how are we ever going to be in a relationship? And I remember right before I called her the first time and told her the complete truth, I'm like, I'm just going to be honest. And if she leaves and I never get to be with her again, so be it. At least I was honest. And I trusted God at that moment. And, you know, now we're in a great marriage and I'm trying to gain points back. So the message is, we are trying to conceal, but we need to confess. And there's a benefit of confessing. We won't be stuck. If you want your chains to be broken, if you want to let the chains of, of your life be broken, and you want to push out the door and live this new life, you need to start learning that confession helps. Openness with God and with other people help, and you become right and whole, and that's what God wants to do. That's when breakthrough happens, is when you're willing to walk up, and I go, I've got about four or five guys in the church, but two or three that are here right now, that I walk up and go, this is what I'm struggling with. These are my fears, and these are my pains. These are the things I'm going with in my marriage, and you know what they do is they come up, they pray, and they put me on their prayer list, and we go through this together. And there's a, better, there's a better life because there's more people that know my problem and I don't feel like I'm alone and, and on my own. 
Abram thinks that he's doing something good for Sarai. If you go back to that first, sent, uh, that first paragraph I read, it says, Say that you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So it's like, say you're my sister so I'll be treated good for your sake though, babe. Right? And then, oh, they'll treat you good too. Well, the truth is, there's consequences for uh, concealing, and here's the consequences. Verse 17 says, But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham and Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and said, What have you done? He said, Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and then they sent him away with his wife and everything that he had. He's like, why did you conceal that she's your wife? You brought this issue upon me, this disease, this, this conflict. Your concealment has now caused another person something. Not only did it cause Pharaoh something, but it had to impact Sarai, right? Do you guys remember, I'm, some of you guys are under, uh, under 25, there was this movie called Indecent Proposal. You guys remember that? It wasn't a good movie, by the way. I, I couldn't even watch it. It was miserable. And uh, the, the movie was basically this. The guy said, I'll give you a million dollars to have your night for one wife in Vegas, right? And so there was this big debate going on back at the time. And I, you know, my, my answer is still the same. I would never do it because my mind would never let me go of what happened. The million would be great, but I'd blow through that in a weekend. So that's not a big issue for me. <laughs> but I'd be more worried about what happened. And that's what we see here. There's consequences that what happened and the concealment, Abraham lost his wife and she's up in the palace. And we'll get back to that in a second. But Jesus comes and we got to get to a place in our sermon where Jesus comes in and becomes our, our superhero, the thing that we can grab a hold of and what would he say and what we would do. In Matthew 23, there's a moment where Jesus is speak, speaking to leaders, religious leaders and Pharisees, and he's saying, woe to you on the way that you're living your life. And he gets into this crazy sermon about we've got to start learning from the living from the inside out. You're all a bunch of people that are trying to live outside. And the verse right before the one I'm going to read, he says, you wash the cup and the plate on the outside, but inside it's all dirty and nasty. Woe to you. And if he was here today, he'd be concerned for us. He'd be concerned because many of us are concealing a lot of stuff. He would say we have a tendency to hide, to pretend, and posture like we're all good. Who came into church today and someone walked up and said, how you doing today? And they said, good, and you're not doing good. Raise your hand. Like three of them went like this. <laughs> and one stand, hand standing straight up. We come to church. We've been yelling at our wife and our kids. You get in here, right? Oh, hi, Susie. How are you? <laughs> That's called posturing and pretending. We get in here and we're mad at the world and mad at everybody else. And ultimately, we come on and put this fake Christian act on versus going, yeah, things aren't good. The kid's a brat and we need to get her into class because I need her out of my life right now. Isn't that the reality? Not my kids, though, but uh, the, the other kids, right? That's why we started children's ministry here, to get my kids out of the service for a little while. Actually, they created it. Anyways, let me get back to it. Jesus is concerned, and he's telling a message to the leaders and Pharisees of the day, but he's also saying it here today as well. He's saying, listen, you guys need to be understanding that I want you to be open and not conceal. Here's what he says. 
He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now I want to take a second here, a 30 second commercial. Me and my wife are taking 12 people to Israel. If you're interested, we've got 12 people to go. Uh, we, the guy called me and said, I have a few more spots. So if you're interested, come and see me. Uh, i got a couple of weeks. But here's a picture from Israel that I want to show. And as you're going into the, the Garden of Gethsemane, you're walking down the street, and, and it's amazing. But to the left, as you're walking down the street, you see all these whitewashed tombs with Hebrew on them. And you walk down, and you see these places. And I can just picture Jesus and the Kedron Valley pointing and saying, look at all those whitewashed graves. That's what you're acting like. Like you look like you're somebody important, but you're dead and in a grave. What kind of people are you? You think a car or clothes or a haircut's going to make you right? You need to work on the inside and your life will be better on the outside. Stop concealing and allow God to work on the inside and confess that you need help. The consequences are real and the consequences of concealment come because we're prideful. I have a lot of pride. I don't want you to know who I truly am. I spend hours on my hairdo and picking out shirts because I want to look good. That's who I am. The truth is this. I need to be open. Pride is a stumbling block to con confession. We'll sit back and go, oh, the pastor doesn't want to hear me. My wife doesn't want to hear me. If I tell my wife, she won't talk to me for a year. The truth is, you need to tell and you need to open to God and the people around you. Confession's a must. Confession is a must. It's profound when we confess. There's a point of humility when you confess. There's this amazing thing that happens. When you admit to someone else you don't have it all together, you don't know what you're talking about, you're not the most smartest kid in the, in the class, when you can confess, great things happen. Not because of something you said, but that's when God says, finally, my child, you're open and right with me and I can use you because it's not about you anymore. A beautiful thing happens when another person confesses. I go up to my brother Randy, me and Randy sit together and he ministers to me and, and, and teaches me how to become a, a, a pastor here at the church. When I come up and confess the things and he'll say the first thing, he's like, you know, what's on your heart, brother? What's the church doing? What's going on? And he just laughs because he's like, I'm glad I'm not in your shoes, right? <laughs> and I start confessing and when someone confesses, it's called community. Think about that for a second. When you confess, when I confess all the church problems and everything that's going on to Randy, we're in community because God's there, I'm there, and, and, and he's there, and things start to happen. And community is a need. If you go back into the garden where Jeremy was last week when we were talking about the fear of rejection, that community is broken when the man eats the, the fruit, right? You got to go back to the sermon if you didn't see it. He did this 45-minute, But that's called community. And you know what? We are in need of community. God has built us in his image, and he is community. Three in one, that's a community. And we need community. And once we took a bite of the fruit, we're separated from God, and we yearn and need community in our heart. It's not a want or desire. It's something that we need. 
And it starts with confession because now I can be a real friend when I can tell Jeff Ogney what's really going on with me. That's a real friend. We could talk about issues. And now he knows, man, he's being real. And, 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 and our friendship grows, and it's grown for years because of that. Jesus teaches us in this community, he called it the church, we need to be open and honest. He, think, he says things need to be different. We need to honor people that are lost in their own mind. We need to honor people that are broken. We need to honor people that are struggling and, and need a savior. That's what we need to do. Concealment creates loneliness and it drags us right out of community. Right? Somebody comes up and you tell your neighbor what's going on and you're struggling you'll get so convicted by the, the devil that you'll never come back because they're like, I told my neighbor and I don't ever want to see him again because now they know. And the truth is, God says, that's when you come in and press in and, and you'll find healing. The fear of being found out drags us out of community. The, the, the celebration of confession brings us in. We need to become a place where brokenness becomes boldness. Sin allows us to be sanctified through Jesus and not ourselves. We need to come that com uh, confession and that openness opens us up to a new life and a new way to live without being in charge. Does that make sense? You know, we're doing this new thing at church uh, on, during the midweek. There's four or five of us that are getting together and talking about all the messages that we're doing as a church so that we have more eyes on the message. And this week, uh, a couple of things have been brought in to other people. And my buddy Jeff Barnett, who was praying for the kids, gave us Psalm 20, uh, 32 for this part of the message. And here's what it says. Listen to what David, King David said about confessing and how powerful it is. And think about Abram as he goes through this. Oh, what joys for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord clears, has cleared of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty. The joy of not concealing, but confessing and being open to God and other people. What joy it is, he says. What joy it is, he says, and how important it is and how powerful it is. Listen to what it says in verse 3. When I refuse to confess my sins, my body wasted away, and I groan all day and night. I grow all day long, sorry. Day and night, your hand of discipline is heavy on me. My strength evaporates like water in the summer heat. When you're struggling and you're, you're in this place that you haven't concealed, you're groaning and moaning. Think about Abram, right? He comes up with this masterful plan and all of a sudden his wife has been taken away from him and now she's in the palace. And you gotta think, if it was me, I'd be walking around the palace going, is that the king's light? I hope she's not in there with him. All night I'm going to be moaning and groaning. What have I done? I'm more worried about me staying alive. I'd rather both of us be dead than her being up there with another man. Abraham finds that there's consequences to concealment. And now he's struggling. And he's got to be moaning and groaning going, what have I done? But the Lord comes in and creates what, what, what he was blessed in. He says, anytime someone goes against you, this is the beginning of Genesis 12, he says, I'm gonna put a curse upon them. And that's what the Lord did. The Lord helped him and got him right. David writes, finally, I confess all of my sins to you and stop trying to and hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Hallelujah, because I should celebrate my confession to God and other people. Do you believe that? 
That's what we need to do. We need to come to a place of celebration. I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to sing a song, and I'm going to talk a little bit about outside. But the truth is, we need to be a church that celebrates confession. We need to be a place that celebrates confession. Where do we see confession a lot in the world? You might see it in the Catholic Church a little bit, which is great. But the truth is, there's communities out there that, that do this each and every day. And I've been a part of one for years. I, I'm not trying to push this on you. I'm just telling you what happens. AANA, Al-Anon, there's groups that meet every day, seven days a week, all day long. They go to meetings. And in these communities, there's utter honesty and openness in all their relationships. People that stick around decide to come up and say, I'm going to get vulnerable. And when you get vulnerable in these meetings, great miracles happen. A person like myself who's strung out on crystal meth and alcohol, been kicked out of my house, been put in jail, go into a program like that, and I learn to get honest with myself and God. Now I can be a better man. I can be a better husband. I can be a better pastor because I know that God is working for me. Now, when you go into these groups, you hear a thing like this. My name's Jeff. I'm an alcoholic. My Je name's Jeff. I'm an addict. My name's Jeff. I'm a codependent. My name's Jeff. I'm struggling with, you know, whatever, food or pornography. We start to get honest. And in there, there's a miraculous thing that God does. He starts ministering to people, even though they might not even believe in Jesus. God blesses people that don't believe in Jesus as well. Happens all the time. The people that believe in Jesus get to receive all the fruits and the benefits of God in his wholeness. Does that make sense? When somebody goes up and says, and I remember the first time I said it, I said I was an addict, the first meeting I went to, I remember being afraid because they're like, everybody's got to say it. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I really am. Just got out of jail. Maybe I am. <laughs> but the truth is when I said it, I remember this relief coming off and I waved a white flag and I surrendered to win. I'm surrendering to win right now when I say I struggle with things. I'm not going to let that hold me back. I'm going to press on and move forward. The problem is the enemy creates a space or doubt in my head. And he says, don't tell. Keep hiding. Keep concealing. Don't confess because he wants to keep you down. And Jesus is saying, tell everybody. Shout it from the rooftop. You've got nothing to hide. If that person doesn't want to be your friend, so be it. Somebody else does. We've got to be able to open ourselves up and watch God work. We need to celebrate confession all the time. Brothers and sisters are all struggling with the same kind of stuff. First Peter reminds us that. It says, resist him, that being the devil. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of things of suffering, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're all going through it. Maybe your sin, praise God that your sin's not as bad as some of mine. But there's others that have done stuff worse. The point is we're all going through a same type of battle. Maybe it's a different vice. Maybe it's a different thing that you're struggling with, but you're still struggling. We are a brotherhood and we are a community. We learn to be open and honest. And church, listen church, most churches in America, most churches in the world believe it's optional. It's just an option. In a few minutes, we're going to have prayer team come up. And you're going to decide what you want to do there. But most churches say, yeah, we want it, but it's kind of an option. Don't do it here. Do it in a small group. We don't want that dirtiness in here. This is the altar. We want it clean. That's not what God wants. He wants his altar dirty, filthy, riddled with your sins so that you can be right. 
Jesus says it's not optional for my community. And at this church, we try and be very transparent. If you're new here today and I've scared you, praise God. There's realness here. From the worship to the kids, to the pastors here, to the leaders, to the volunteers. There's realness here and there's an authenticity because we are trying to live a life for the glory of God and trying to live it out and not be fake. I want to close with this story really quick. A pastor was telling me this story about a, a sermon on confession. And he said, I was doing this sermon and I'm going to have the theme confession. He goes, I put the cross up and I was going to have everybody come up and put their sins upon the cross. You guys have probably done that. We've done it once or twice here and I've done it at my, the last church I was at. And so they put the cross up and everybody was to write their sins down and as they walk up, fold it up, and pin it on the cross. Pretty, pretty standard, right? So they're doing it. They're playing a little mu- music like uh, our worship team was. And uh, one by one, families and individuals are coming up and pinning their sin on the cross. They're pinning it up one by one. Finally, a family comes up and they put their sin on the cross, but there's a little six-year-old behind him. His name's Jonah. And after their family pinned up their sin on the cross, Jonah goes up and pins his sin with his name on it, opened up for everybody to see. And here's what he wrote. God, I'm sorry because I lied. Jonah. Put it in the center of the cross, opened up, and everybody can see it. His parents bring him to the side and said, Jonah, what are you doing? You're supposed to pin it and hide it and pin it up. And he says, no. If everybody else knows I lie, maybe they will help me so I don't lie anymore. We need to understand that that six-year-old has a better idea of Christianity than we do. Why would we pin it up and hide it? God wants us to be open and move in a place in our hearts so that we can truly be healed and right and, and free of the things that are holding us back. Do you believe that today? You can only love and be loved to the extent that you are known and are known by someone. If you want to be known, you need to be loved. You need to open up and celebrate confession. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and someone needs to confess that I need a Savior in here. Someone needs to put their life on the line and say, I no longer can do this on my own. If that's you today, repeat after me. And if that's not you today, start confessing things to God that you need to confess. But if you're here today and you need a Savior, repeat after me. And this brings you into the glory room with Jesus Christ. It says, Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul. And be my King. Be my Savior. For I know that you died and that you rose again so I can live a life of fearlessness for you, Lord. Holy Spirit, anoint me now with your love and mercy. Work in my life so that you can be glorified, Father. We say these things in the name above all names. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, I'm grateful that you're here today. I'm grateful that you're here today. We're calling this Fellowship Sunday. We played a lot of music up front. We're only playing one song in the back. Normally we sandwich it with a bunch of worship at the end. But the most important part of church needs to happen in what we're calling the pinnacle. Outside, Dustin named this thing the pinnacle. And we're going to move out here after service and just fellowship and find maybe our, our next best friend is here and you just have never fellowshiped with him. 
But we're going to go out there and have root beer floats and celebrate after we sing this song always. The reason that this thing is called the pinnacle, I think we have a... a um, a picture. There's a place in Israel. This is the, called the pinnacle of the church. This is the highest point, and this is where all the best architect, all the best paintings, and everything was. That's where all of the ministry happened. It was the pinnacle, and that's where everybody wanted to be. And that was built by Herod. And so we are going to create a place outside that's going to be a pinnacle for friendships, relationships, a place that you will get become open and honest. So we're going to sing this song called Always. We're going to stand up. We're going to worship. And we're going to make new fellowship and new friends with people. Amen.